Romans 12. And I'm going to go ahead and back up also to um, Romans 11, as I did last Sunday, just to get a little bit of context. Beginning in chapter 11, verse 33. All the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things and to him be glory forever amen i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we continue to, to look at this little passage, this, these little verses, yet they are so packed with so much for us. We pray that you would by your spirit, help us to understand and that you would, Lord, lead me by your Holy Spirit to, to know what to really focus on and perhaps what maybe not to place a lot of emphasis on. Lord, help me to zero in on that which you desire to speak to each of us this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Now, this is, to me, this is just an incredible, an incredible little passage, these, particularly these two verses out of Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. We didn't even get to, through Romans 1 last week because uh, there's so much there. And you know, as I mentioned on Wednesday night, which I do a lot of times on Sundays, I do kind of look at the close-up. I'll take a look at the, the words and, and kind of look at the grammar a little bit and, and, and see particularly what these verbs, these action words are telling us, uh, and I'm going to do that this morning, although I may back up a little bit and kind of do a close-up and back up, kind of like as, a, uh, as if I'm a photographer adjusting the lens, all right? So, uh, so I'll just kind of give you that ahead of time. Backing up into last week, real quick, all right, just kind of a real quick overview of what we covered last week, just to give us some context of where we're going to go forward uh, this morning, uh, that the fact that that Paul is writing and he's beseeching, or as some of the translations say, he is urging. He's urging uh, us and refers to us again as, as brothers. Now, of course, that would include the women, sisters as well. But he, he's, uh, he's speaking to the family. And so this is a, a, a little passage that's given to Christians. It's, it's given for our, uh, our, not only our admonition, 
but it's really given us the pathway by which we're to grow in our relationship to Jesus Christ, and he's urging us because of God's mercy. And, of course, we talked a lot about God's mercy last week, uh, talking about how in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word mercy in the, this, uh, in the Greek is also translated loving kindness in the Old Testament. Uh, it's the same Greek word that's used very often. It's to replace the Hebrew word hased, which means that type of love of God that you cannot outrun, that you cannot hide from, that you cannot push away, this relentless pursuit that God has for his people. A love that knows no boundaries, a love that knows, does not know the word no, a love that keeps trying, a love that keeps pursuing, chasing after us. There, some have called, uh, referred to this and, and referred to God as the hound of heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. I think it's kind of an f- interesting term. I don't use it a whole lot, and it's not my favorite. But, but some people uh, like to use that, how God continually pursues us. And because of the fact that he continually pursues, pursues us, we're to present, which is a technical term, this offering of the sacrifice. Um, we are to present ourselves, offer ourselves uh, to God as a uh, actually offering our bodies, Greek word soma, which not only includes our body, but it includes the fullness of who we are. In, incidentally, when it talks about renewing your mind in chapter 2, it is, excuse me, verse 2, it does refer to the mind as well, but it also refers to that which enters into the mind from our soul. It's the Greek word nous. I'm getting ahead of myself, I know. But it's the Greek word nous, which talks about the fullness of who we are uh, and the mind kind of being central to that. And, and so we're to present our bodies, uh, both our physical and our immaterial self, to God as a living sacrifice, being in the present tense. So in other words, it's a process that is continuing. There is no emphasis at all in its completion. In other words, it's something that we continue to do. And as I said last week, there are no imperatives in verse 1. There are no commands in verse 1. Even this beseeching or urging is not an imperative. It is what's called an infinitive. In other words, if I can take a little liberty with the Greek grammar, when Paul says, I'm going to urge you or I'm going to beseech you, what he's essentially saying is, I'm going to bring this up over and over again because it's of the utmost importance. And if every day we need to recognize the, the, the calling on our lives to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable form of service. Um, so uh, we, we talked about what it meant to be holy, uh, this idea of being consecrated to God. I don't think I really touched on that a whole lot. But, but this idea of being a, uh, a, sacrifice, a living sacrifice that is holy, which means it's consecrated. I like the word consecrated, although I, I use it in church, but I don't use it out in the street a whole lot, right? But it, it means to be set aside. Something that is set aside per- specifically for the purpose of worshiping God. 
when we read in the Old Testament, particularly in Torah, where it talks about all the, the utensils and all the uh, furnishings that were in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, it talks about them being holy. It talks about them being set apart. And they were set apart specifically for the purpose of worshiping God. So in other words, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice specifically for the purpose of worshiping God. And that it would be acceptable. This idea of acceptable really means something that is well-pleasing to God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, it tells us, in, in, Paul is writing and he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. In other words, they, the Philippians had sent a gift to Paul. And he refers to the gift as a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They'd sent him a gift. They'd sent him some money to help support his ministry, uh, even though he was actually, when he wrote the letter of Philippians, where was he? Do you guys remember? He was in prison. And so the, uh, they had sent him something that was an acceptable sacrifice, something that was well-pleasing to God. And so the context here is this holy, acceptable unto God, something that God is well-pleased and something that is acceptable to him. Now, I find this fascinating because, be, I don't want to go too deep into this, because I really want to jump into chapter, or verse 2. For some reason, I keep calling it chapter 2 this morning. But, um, but, I, but I think it's important to pause in this, this idea of something that's holy and acceptable. A, whole, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, because... Because I've talked to people, they, were, they will sacrifice for things. They will set themselves apart holy. They will set themselves apart for things. But is it something that pleases God? I think that's an interesting thing that we need to consider. In other words, when we are presenting ourselves, presenting our bodies to God, Follow my thinking here. And if we do it on a daily basis, as we present ourselves to God, is there a dialogue between you and God? Are, are you checking in? Are you checking in to see that that which you have presented to him is that which he desires for you to do? Why? Because this ties into the end of verse 2 where it says that you may prove what is, what is that good and acceptable, there's the word again, acceptable will of God. It, what this is bringing out is this idea of presenting ourselves to God, a living sacrifice is more than just a state of mind. Although it talks about the renewing of your mind in the second verse. So don't, 
Don't feel like I'm contradicting the scripture here. But it is more than a state of mind. Is it partially a state of mind? Yes, it is. It, it's, it's an attitude of submission. It's an attitude of surrender. We, you know, I, I, that, that song that we, last song that we sang, I Surrender, that, that just kind of leaped off the, the, the program uh, last night as I was going through this going, yeah, I want, we haven't sang that in a long time, so let's do that one. Because I think it really kind of, uh, it, it, uh, um, it's an expression of what Paul has written here in chapter 12. But do we check in? Do we check in with God? Do we, do we check in and do we, do we take that, that inventory, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my way, Psalm 139. Do we check in to see, am, am I still walking the right direction that you want me to go? Or is it possible, Lord, you want me to turn to the left or to the right or to do something different? Or perhaps I need to even look at the way I'm doing what I'm doing. See, the, 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 what, what I... I'm amazed by a lot of Christians is, is I want to be accurate. I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to let everybody off the hook either. Okay, so I'm kind of struggling with this myself. It is, it's, it's like they, they, you know, they do whatever they do in the morning, and hopefully you have some kind of prayer time in the morning, and, and, and um, I realize that, Different times of the day work better for different people. And I don't think you're a bad person if you don't get up in the morning and start praying immediately, okay? So, all right, so that's not what I'm stressing. But, but I, I talk to people that from time to time, that they get me the impression that they do the quick high God in the morning. I better read a chapter real fast, you know? And because I got to read, got to get in the Word, right? You know, and, and yes, that's important. But, but they do that. But then they go on to automatic mode for the rest of the day. They go on to automatic. In other words, they, and what, when we go on automatic mode, what does that normally mean about us? It means we default to the flesh rather than ensuring, and, and, and if I can use the word striving, Making sure that we're walking in the Spirit. Making sure that our presentation of our bodies as a living sacrifice is holy and is acceptable, is well-pleasing to God. Lord, am I doing what you want me to do today? And what does that look like? And I'm going to tell you, it's going to look a lot different for you as it's going to look for you as it's going to look for you as it's going to look for me. It's going to look a lot different, and your Monday may look a whole lot different than your Thursday. Because if it's true, Paul said it in the book of Acts on Mars Hill, if it's true that in him we live and we move and we have our being, then 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 we have this constant dynamic of a relationship with God. It's not static. In other words, it's not, it's not just, it doesn't just stay in one place. God has called us to work with the flow of his spirit. John, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that the spirit, 
uh, is like the wind. It comes from where it comes, and it goes where it goes, and we don't know where it comes from, nor do we know where it's going. And so we, we're, we're called to live in this posture uh, before God of a sense of openness and a willingness to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit when he calls us. I think that's what is an acceptable sacrifice. So far, it's not a command. But it's something that is incredibly important grammatically, as I just said a little while ago. Grammatically, Paul is saying, I'm going to be telling you about this over and over again in one way, shape, or form. See, a lot of people will sacrifice for a worthy cause, but is it a cause that God has called you into? Is it in line with the will of God? Only you can answer that for your own life. And it says, and do not be conformed. Do not be conformed. To this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, what's interesting about this word conformed is it is an imperative. There's two imperatives in this verse. I bet you can guess what the other one is. Transformed. So this whole verse is don't be conformed here, but be transformed over there. All right? Essentially, that's what it's saying. Now, this word conformed is in the imperative mood. That's why it's a, com it's a command. It's in either the middle or the passive voice. Don't you just love these, this, all this grammar that I didn't learn in high school? I had to relearn it. You're like, so what? Middle and passive. What is the middle and passive voice? I'll explain it to you. Now, this is a tricky word because it can be interpreted either way. It's a command, imperative. Middle or passive voice. What is the middle voice in the Greek? A middle voice means that the subject is being affected by its own action or is acting upon hims it itself or himself or herself. In other words, the subject, where in verse 2 it says, and, and do not be conformed, right? You could throw in, and you do not be conformed. We're the subject of verse 2, all right? Essentially, he's writing this to us. So what it's saying here is that in don't be conformed, in other words, don't live a life that somehow you are affecting or acting upon yourself in a way that conforms to the world. Let me go, okay, so that's one way to interpret this. That if we live a particular lifestyle... And, and uh, 
I think a lot of what this is talking about, and there's that old saying, you ever heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out? What it is that you expose yourself to. What you read. What you listen to. What you watch. The TV or the internet or whatever it is that you bring into your life is going to have an effect on you. And the grammar here is saying that you're the one who's making this happen. However, it can also be interpreted as a passive, um, as a passive voice, which means something else is doing it to you. You expose yourself to X, Y, and Z. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name it. You. If you're if you're exposing yourself to things that you know you shouldn't, you already know what they are. Okay. And and they don't have to be horrible sinful things either. All right. They're just not necessarily godly things. Sometimes we even think they're neutral. They're they're usually not, but sometimes. I mean, there are neutral things, all right? I, I don't, I don't want to run down that road. Because I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about you, you're going out and sinning and doing this and that, but, but just exposing yourself to things that do not build you up in our most holy faith. Or you get really wrapped up into the world for whatever of what this is talking about. Don't be conformed to the world. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. Now, this really pertains to some of us, particularly if we were saved maybe a little later in life. Um, or even, I think this pertains to us if, if, if we got saved early in life and then for a period of time we didn't walk with the Lord. And, and so uh, not conforming ourselves to the world, not conforming ourselves to our former lusts. The world, now this is interesting because this world is translated, this word is translated world. And I guess it's a good translation. Um, some of the other translations translate this word. It's the word aeon. They translate it as age. Is talking about don't be conformed to this age. Now, technically, I know that there are different systematic theologies that refer to different ages, but technically, uh, I'll take my cue from Jesus, and Jesus says there's two ages. There's the age that is, and then there is the age to come. It's that, that period of time uh, uh, where right now, the kingdom of God is here, it is advancing, but it is not yet here in its fullness nor its completeness. We will eventually go into a kingdom age when Jesus returns, and then the kingdom of God will be in its fullness and its completeness. There is the age that is now, according to Jesus, there is the age to come. And what Paul is saying is do not be conformed to this age. 
Let 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you seems wise in this age. Aeon. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. I think that's interesting. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul talks about how the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And, and humanity has its own sense of wisdom, does it not? And, and uh, at, at times they, they, think it's, they, they, they think it's strange that, that we don't operate on, under the same ideas and thinking and mode of operation that they do. Um, Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, it says, uh, Jesus speaking here, and he, he's giving the parable, and he talked about the seed that was sowed among the thorns. And he says, when that seed that is sowed among the thorns hears the word, and the cares of this world, he, same word again, aeon, the cares of this age, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. The deceitfulness of this age. We now live in an age that is controlled by the prince of the power of the air. Actually, he, is, he controls it, yet he is still on a leash. And at times, it seems like that leash is very long. But with the influence of Satan in this age, it's, it's an age of deceitfulness. It's an dece- age of, of, of lustfulness. Is an age of, of those who are trying to get ahead to try to satisfy their own, their own desires. The age to come is that age where Jesus will come and he will rule and reign on Mount Zion. And the nations will come to him and they will worship him and, 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 and he will be the center of all that is in the age to come. But if we conform, if we allow ourselves to become exposed to the things of this age, we, we will either do it to ourselves or it will happen to us, maybe even without our knowledge, but we will be formed by the age of this world. And what Paul is saying but he's implying it, but not saying it directly. If you do that, then you're ripping, you're ripping yourself off. Because instead of being conformed, he's calling us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I have to be transformed. By the way, transform is the second imperative. I already told you that. So we, we have to be transformed That's also present tense, which means it's ongoing, all right? This change inwardly, this change of a fundamental character or a condition of who we are as people, uh, where we, we are changed, essentially, Paul talked about it to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, changed from glory to glory. And we do that by the renewing of our minds. Now, I'm going to back up to transformation in just a second. This idea of renewing our minds, 
That is our mind, the noose, the way of thinking, our attitudes that we have, the sum total of our mental and moral state. That's what this is talking about. And how do we renew our minds? We don't. Good, I got you thinking. Because this is in the passive voice. Follow my thought here. This is, to me, probably the most important part of this message. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. But we don't transform anything about ourselves. It's done to us by the Holy Spirit. It's in the passive voice. So as we, I think, I think the, the reality is in the Christian life, the best we can do, the most we can do, and probably the most important thing we do is simply show up. Simply present ourselves to God, our bodies, as a living sacrifice. And we allow him to do the transformation. If you pray, will that make you change yourself? Probably not. Probably just make you angrier, especially when God's quiet. If you read the Bible, can you change yourself? Probably not real well. Of course, if we read the Bible according to 1 Corinthians these things are spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot understand them. So without the aid and the assistance of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to get it anyway. In other words, we do the spiritual disciplines of, of prayer, of Bible reading, uh, of, of, of service, not so that we might change ourselves, but so that we might show up at the body shop, if you will, so God can do the transformation in us. Now, you've got to get to the body shop, right? Because if you're not in the body shop, the mechanic can't, can't fix you. He can't do the work. But if Paul is correct, and I believe he is, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, and the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. If the life that I live now in the flesh is lived by faith, then I have to entrust these things to him. He is doing the transformation. I'm simply presenting my body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable form of worship. I'm already running out of time. I got a ton of stuff I could still cover on this. But when I pray, and by the way, I, again, due to time, I, get, I can't get into this deeply, but when I pray, I try to listen. I try to listen. Now, you notice that, like, at times when we open in prayer, I sit silent for, for a moment. I'm not trying to get you to settle down. I'm trying to listen to the Spirit. I'm trying to listen. I want to hear from Him. 
prayer is more than just presenting God with my grocery list or my to-do list. Prayer is more than an event. It's a life. And, and I, I, I bring myself to God and I allow him to do the work. And so that I may prove what is a good and acceptable, perfect will of God. I think that's a good thing, place to leave off and wait till next week. And I'll wait till next week for you. Because I think it's important. But I don't want to rush it. But I, I do want to encourage you. Allow yourself to be transformed. Now, the, the, the thing is, is the showing up part, the spiritual disciplines, that can be difficult. That really can be difficult because part of it, part of spiritual disciplines is you have to ingrain in yourself habits. Especially if you're a musician, you don't want to do any of that. You know, of course, you want to sleep till noon and but you'll have every picnic basket down in Jellystone Park before it's dark, right? Anyway, you remember the song. I love that song. Yogi Bear. Anyway, um, it, it came to me. Sorry. <laughs> but we simply show up. And, and, and again, as, I, as I'm getting older, I feel like the Spirit can do more with me. Now, this is just me, Okay. This, I'm not saying this is the way to do it, okay? Your mileage may vary. I read a, a, a few verses out of the Psalms, and the Spirit can do an To me, the Spirit can do an incredible amount of work. If I try to read five Psalms in a day, I won't even remember the first one by the time I got to the second one. It doesn't work for me that way. Uh, and I had a friend of mine, and God bless him, but he was like, you've got to read five Psalms a day. If you don't read five Psalms a day, God can't do any work in your life. And it just drives me crazy. You know, but it was like, maybe I can read three or four verses and really let those permeate my life through my day. And then, and then you have those moments where you really, 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 really want to get in the flesh. Maybe just me. Okay. And those verses all of a sudden start coming back to you. Who's doing that? So that's part of God's transforming work. That's, you know, uh, Jeremiah expressed it so well. I need to be done here. But Jeremiah said it so well where he gave the illustration of the potter and the clay. And that transformation is so important for us because the, the more that God transforms us, the more I believe that we get into a place where we truly can enjoy fellowship with God. Now that in itself is a danger Then all of a sudden we start to think we're spiritual. And, and the pride, it's always a battle. You know, it's always a battle. So then you, you have to go through more transformation. And then you think, okay, I finally got humble. <laughs> right? And then you laugh because you've been there. And then you know better. You know, it, but you see, you can't do it yourself. 
God is willing and God is able. If we simply show up, I, I think I talked about this either last Sunday or the Sunday before, and just, just to put it out there on the table and say, here you go, God. The exchange of beauty for ashes. And just allow him to do that work. And as Paul would pray for one of the churches, I don't remember which, but he prayed that they would be this finished bride who would come, before, be, that would be presented to God in the end. And that's what I want to see you guys do and be. That's what I want for myself. Just allow him to do that transformation work and see what he does and see then how we can discern this perfect will of God that we'll talk about next Sunday.